Hi, and welcome to Women at Warp, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Join us as our crew of four women Star Trek fans boldly go on our bi-weekly mission to explore our favorite franchise. My name is Grace, and thanks for tuning in. With me this week, we've got Jera. Hello. And we and with us today, we have Sue. Hello. Now, before we get to our main topic, we have a little bit of housekeeping to do first. Our show is entirely supported by our patrons on Patreon. If you'd like to become a patron, you can do so for as little as a dollar a month and get awesome rewards. From thanks on social media up to silly watch-along commentaries. Visit www.patreon.com forward slash women at warp. You can also support us by leaving a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Anything else before we move on to our main topic for the day? May you walk with the prophets, my (laughs) child. May we all walk with the prophets. And may we profit from walking with the prophets. Mmm, Ferengi Bajoran religious mashup. <laughs> I know, you see what I did there? I made it a very Deep Space Nine-centric philosophy. DS9 loved that pun. We're getting back to the drawing board with a topic that's very near and dear to our hearts and the hearts of our listeners, and that is the love interests of our captains in the series we like to call Oh Captain, My Captain. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> I was hoping someone would make a reactive noise to that. Cisco. Mmm. Mmm, Captain. <laughs> this week we're covering the Deep Space Nine Captain, Captain Cisco. Although, yeah. I guess technically during at least some of these, he's still a commander. Commander Captain Cisco. <laughs> Jennifer yeah. Cisco is our starting out character, played by Felicia Bell. She shows up in the pilot episode of Emissary, and then again in a couple flashbacks, a Mirror Universe episode. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Two Mirror Universe so episodes. We- yeah. So we don't really see a lot of her as a character, aside from uh, Cisco's various musings about the wife he once had and her dying. Yeah. She sort of, like, starts out being his motivation for uh, not wanting to be in the Federation. So in this case, she's not really driving him to the job that he ends up getting, but she's driving him to really resent being given that job. Yeah, she's and like, being really mad at Picard. Kind of pre-fridged. Yeah. <laughs> I, that's what I was wondering. She gets fridged before the main plot of the show even yeah, starts. But I mean she does give preemptive fridging. She that and that reaction to her death is what gives defines Cisco for at least the first couple of episodes because he's angry at the loss. He's still it's still fresh, but we also see him right from the start resenting Starfleet and specifically resenting Picard. Yeah. Which is a fun way to start your series with the ma- new main character, like having it out for your old main character. Yeah, yeah it's interesting. Um, and it also, I mean, is related to defining him as a single dad. And I think that aspect um, I mean, obviously, he remains a dad for the whole time. But when Jake is young, um, he's particularly, you know, concerned for his well-being, worried he's going to be sad, worried he's going to be lonely and not be able to deal without his mom. That, I think, is a, a, a common feature of uh, Cisco being, like, protective of Jake for the first uh, quite a while. And I know we've mentioned it before, but Avery Brooks was very adamant about Cisco being a good representation of black fatherhood. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he definitely is. He's a power dad. Yeah, I mean, he is, like, first episode, he's, like, taking 
you know, picking up Jake from fishing on the holodeck and, you know, talking about they're going to go play baseball and there's clearly all these things they do together and they clearly love each other and that love definitely persists throughout the series. It's like an ad for the boys and girls club's ideal role model class that they probably have, but, you know, he's already a dad, so Jake doesn't need one. <laughs> mm-hmm. Good for Jake. So the thing, though, with um, the fact that Jennifer Sisko is basically dead from the first episode, and so we only see her in these flashbacks, and we know that Jake really misses her, is that she really is flat. Like, she has no dimension. We don't know who she was other than a good wife and mother. And, yeah. well, we see, like, their first date. We see them on the beach. We see them having a picnic. But it's uh, she really sort of feels like this angelic absent mother, which is very much a trope. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. She doesn't give a lot of uh, depth and dimension to her as a character, but I guess she isn't so much a character as she is a stock figure. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's kind of unfortunate. I feel like they had maybe some opportunity to do more with that, or maybe they could have done less with it. Like, they could have made her deceased farther back. I don't know if having Cisco like, have that conflict near the beginning maybe that was really important but yeah i don't know i'm trying to think of like other characters who experience loss in star trek and the only one jumping right to my mind right now is stamets um but in that way like we're not done seeing what happens there but i think they're doing more to explore the loss than we actually get to see with cisco yeah we do have Picard losing his family in the movies. Oh, yes, yes. But again, it sort of gets left behind for a, there's a bigger plot at hand. Yeah, it's secondary. Yeah, whereas this is part of Cisco's character and part of his, you know, early season, I don't want to be here, I'm done with the Federation, I'm just waiting for my replacement to show up. Yeah, and I mean, with like Picard and his family, the only reason they're they have more dimension is that they were in an episode, but if you hadn't seen the episode and you just saw the movie, you would just be like, oh, there's some people in they a, mean an old-timey photo yeah. album. They mean nothing, yeah. Yeah, that died in a horrible fire. <laughs> it's not funny, but kind of funny. I don't know, you guys, Picard never mentioned he had a brother before season four. Or yeah. a nephew, <laughs> by extension. Well, I mean, he didn't really... He wasn't really cool with his nephew. He's just like, uh, awkward kid. Let me wait until he is old enough for me to have an intellectual conversation with him. <laughs> I know, because that's me. I was just trying to make the discovery joke. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I just got it. <laughs> so unlike some of our uh, uh, other captains that we've covered, Cisco really doesn't get as many love interests, and our next one doesn't come along until the next season. Yeah. And that's Fena, played by then-Sally Elise Richardson, now Sally Richardson-Whitfield, who is pretty freaking fantastic, I gotta say, um, as Fena in the episode Second Sight. Yeah, and they make a point of uh, Cisco saying directly that this is the first time he felt, I believe he uses the phrase, drawn to someone since Jennifer died. He would go (laughs) out of his way to say it dramatically, too, wouldn't he? I'm drawn to her. Yeah. Uh, For those of you who don't remember, this is the episode where he meets the alien lady in the red dress, and she is like, show me your space station. And she's actually a pretty, yes, she's actually a pretty positive version of the manic pixie dream girl, which I appreciate about her. Um, And then, weirdly, he meets 
a woman who looks exactly like her, who is the wife of this weird, arrogant terraformer. Mm -hmm. And then it turns out that the woman that he's been hanging out with and kissing um, is actually just a mental projection of the wife who's really unhappy in her marriage, but can't leave him because she's sort of like Famke Janssen in Perfect Mate and is like bonded for life. Bonded for plot's sake. Yeah, we really should cover that in an entire episode at some point. (laughs) Just the consistency of us having women characters who are defined by being in shitty marriages. Yeah, yeah, because it is more than those two, but I think those are the only two that it's not, it's more than just you're marrying for an alliance, like Alan of Troyes, and there's some other ones in there where, like, it's a, a royal person who's marrying for an alliance, but, like, they technically do have free will, they just choose the, like, crappy option for the sake of their planet, yeah. but in both of these cases, they, they, like, once you're there, you literally cannot break your marriage. They don't really say if it's, like, a biological thing or just a societal taboo. They just say that her species mates for life, which feels like a bit of a cop-out. It seemed like it was biological because, like, I mean, the guy could have divorced her if it was just that, like, it was her culture. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know. Maybe he thinks her culture is so, so strongly ingrained that he had to commit suicide for her to feel free, but... Spoiler, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, who knows what the taboos are yeah. in her culture, right? Maybe divorce means exile. Uh, for what little we get to see of her as Nidel, though, you really get an idea that she is, that is a restrained person, possibly coming from a really restrained background. I mean, so he, that- the terraforma guy, ooh, words. Terrafor- terraforma guy. <laughs> terraforma guy, he fights with the ground. <laughs> Terraformer guy. <laughs> implies that they used to be happy yeah Mm -hmm. but also that quote all of his marriages (laughs) used to be happy but he could divorce everybody else he just couldn't divorce her you're gonna marry this guy and you're gonna be with him for the rest of his life which in theory is what people say when they get married but it's kind of gone south a lot for him before Mm -hmm. feels like i don't want to say she should have known better but it feels like there was warning there for both of them yeah, I mean, oh, so so it's also possible he doesn't want to live without her because she's, like, the only woman that's, I don't know. Stuck with him. She's stuck with him because she's literally stuck with him, though. <laughs> it's hard to say, yeah, like, um, Iris Stephen Bear said he felt the episode really didn't work because that Cisco and the audience don't have a, they don't really respect Saitic. That's the, the scientist dude. And said his suicide felt like a wacky stunt when it was intended to be, like, actually really powerful. And it did kind of. It was like, oh, that weirdo. That's that's accurate. He does get his witness me moment at the very end. <laughs> yeah. Well, he – so this guy. Um, <laughs> this guy, yeah, guys. He, he does have that scene where he's like, I keep having to one-up myself. And, and there's so much pressure. And what am I going to do next? But he – does it in such an arrogant way yeah. that mm-hmm. you don't care. And yeah. he spends so much of his other time being arrogant that you don't care. Yeah. And then right before – I understand the joke, but right before he he suicides into the, the dead sun, he yells, let there be light. Really? What guy? an arrogant jerk. <laughs> He's relighting his sun, but still, dude, dude. 
Sue's scientist corner. <laughs> yeah. Also, I thought about that science for half a second. <laughs> I thought about that science for half a second, and I was like, I'm pretty sure that this is not a thing. <laughs> but I just don't have the mental energy for it. Yeah. So what do we think about Fena? Yes. Well, I really want to say about Fena and Nadell, um, we really do see a really good performance from Sally Richardson, although I'm biased because she was Detective Elisa Maza, and therefore I will love her forever. In Eureka? Gargoyles, man! Oh, sorry. Oh, man. And I was like, she's in Eureka, but I don't know what she played. Um, she was good in Eureka. Man, I just uh, lost major geek points in that exchange. <laughs> Eureka, Stitchers, uh, CSI Miami. She has got a long and a long and uh, I wouldn't. I guess I can't say varied, but she has got a a long illustrious TV career. Cool. And I think she does really good at being um, both this kind of restrained woman who's stuck in an unhappy situation and this projection of the kind of woman she wishes that she could be. And I think she does a really good uh, job with both those sides of this one person. I do like that her mental projection is just like in this awesome ball gown. It is a ball gown jumpsuit, yeah. which just adds to it. And can we talk about how the costumer was just really into jumpsuits with strappy tops? Yeah. Because yeah. I love that. <laughs> Why not? So I think it's really interesting that Nadell is aware of Fena. Yes. But Fena is not aware of Nadell. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And yet... Nadell doesn't have any of the memories that from from Fena's projection. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Because it also was a little bit creepy towards the end when, you know, Fena is gone and Nadell is, quote, free and is talking to Cisco when he says, well, she was just like you mm -hmm. and I was in love with her. Mm -hmm. And Nadell is like, well, I don't remember any of that. Bye. I read that scene kind of more as like a... She was just like you in the sense that uh, that Nadell could definitely be Fena. I'm sure that was the actual intention, but it was just struck me. But as it odd. is it is interesting because I mean, yeah, I guess you're supposed to think it's like subconscious and she can't remember it, or she th maybe thinks it was a dream or something. But she's basically mental projecting like a sentient being. Mm -hmm. Then the only thing that can remember is the projection. So that is very fascinating. I wonder if, like, you mind-melded with her, if you could find figure out, like, recover somehow. Like it's just locked away somewhere. Yeah, because, like, it must exist within her if the projection doesn't exist constantly and she brings it up repeatedly and it maintains the memories from the previous time. And apparently this episode's original pitch from Mark Gerard O'Connell, Garrett O'Connell... Originally, the episode concept was this would be Bashir in Cisco's role here, and it's an abused woman that he's kind of trying to unravel what's going on here as more of a mystery thing rather than a romance thing. Oh, so more like the woman Serena from the like super intelligent people later on? I guess. Um. <laughs> I mean, in that case, she's not abused, but that's a, well, debatably, it's a very questionable treatment of people with mental health issues oh, yeah. but um we're also still at the point where bashir is a little insufferable so this episode probably would not oof. have worked so well if that had been the direction they'd gone in 
Yeah, and they really wanted to use this um, because they felt that Cisco was, they just weren't really sure who Cisco was still yeah. by this point. And our Stephen Bear says uh, that he and Michael Piller had conversations about making Cisco the builder on establishing the difference between him and Picard, the explorer. Cisco is a builder. He stays with the project until the finish. That helped us to see Cisco in a whole lot of different ways. He's a guy who's solid and real and human. The writers felt that giving Cisco a romance would help them to better define the character and would help the audience to better connect with him on an emotional level. Yeah, so far the only building he's done is with that weird clock. That did, uh, so did it help you connect with Cisco on an emotional level? Sure, why not? I, I guess I'm still sort of stuck on this episode with, like, how would you define Fena other than freer and with badass dress jumpsuit? Well, she's more impulsive. She's more... She is not nearly as quiet. She is so much more carefree. Like I said, little bit of a manic pixie dream girl, but not in the sense that I was annoyed by her or that it felt like she was uh, being fun and precocious just for the sake of the guy she was with. She was someone who you genuinely felt like she was there to have a good time. Yeah, I would say I also got maybe optimistic. Yeah. Inquisitive. Mm -hmm. Also clever. She was. Uh, she had some really good conversational one-upage with him. Yeah, I mean that's true. I just feel like overall, I didn't see her as like a challenging figure to Cisco. Really, like I saw her as fulfilling, like a fantasy. She's his rebound girl, I guess. That's what he's looking for, yeah. probably. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say it's like it's definitely not anywhere as explicit or problematic as Perfect Mate, but it sort of felt like. She shows up and then she disappears mysteriously and like she is this fantasy of his, even though she has some more agency, but because she's like not tangible and she she's not but flame her and air. interests very much align with his. It felt like just kind of I don't know. Like I just realized she's kind of his uh his Dulcinea and uh her actual self is the Alfonso, uh, except in. In this case, Aldonza is straight-laced and has a stick up her butt. Kind of stretching that metaphor there. Yeah, and Cisco is all like, I must find her. This woman. Mm -hmm. She was wearing red. <laughs> the mystery certainly seems to be a great deal of the attraction. Yeah. Which, let's be real, we kind of see that a lot with love interests just in TV in general. Who is that girl? This is the A plot. Like, the, the B plot is about the terraforming stuff. So it's, like, it's kind of hard. I mean, I guess I, I, I would say I think they could have made a more defined character. But I think, you know, it is a Woman of the Week episode. Yeah, it's, uh It's entirely romance focused yeah. and it's about trying to define Cisco. So mm -hmm. that it is what it is. I don't know if it helped me connect with Cisco more, but it helped me like Jake more. Oh, yeah. Because I thought it was super, like, I guess healthy Yeah, for him to say, like, it's okay if you like somebody else. Yeah. Instead of, like, you have to pine after my mom until you die. You know, which is the opposite of what Next Generation did. Right. Because, you know, 10 years after Jack Crusher's death, apparently Beverly hasn't been on a single date. 
Well, That's a bummer. I mean, if you believe the naked with a now, Scottish, anyway. Scottish ghost candle. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking about season right. one, not season seven. The ghost candle happened later. Yes, yes. <laughs> and she really didn't start dating until after Wesley left the ship, so that's messed up. Yeah, I I do think this establishes a lot about how Jake and Cisco have a healthy relationship in that they are communicating and that they understand each other and that they're giving each other free reign of their own lives. Yeah, I'll also still say probably uh, Cisco and Fena is probably still healthier than Crusher and the Scottish Ghost Candle. Oh, definitely, by miles. Uh-huh. Grandma's Scottish ghost candle. Oh, God. <laughs> and, <laughs> uh, so a hell of a lot Sorry. better than the next couple we're going to examine, which is the Mirror Universe version of Jennifer and the Mirror Universe version of Jadzia, which uh, Cisco kind of has stuff go on with. Not in the yeah. best way, though. <sighs> Have we... Uh, I mean, so... Recap, in the Mirror Universe, uh, we find out that Cisco and Jennifer are still married, Jennifer is still alive, but they have not even spoken to each other in five years, and Jadzia is his mistress. Yeah. Well, and uh, that Mirror Mirror Cisco is dead, or like after the first, the first yes. Mirror Universe episode. Yeah. Or presumed dead. So Smiley goes to the Prime Universe and gets Prime Cisco and says, we need you to convince your ex-wife in the Mirror Universe or your, you know, your separated wife who hates you to, is it, I forget, to share a discovery with the Rebellion or to... I don't remember. She was so boring. Yeah. It was, it's something like she's working on this major project for the Klingon Cardassian Alliance. And I forget if it's just like sabotage the project or not to work on it or if they want them to like give the research to the rebellion instead. Or it's one of those things. Yet she's got a giant Terran emblem on her dress. Yeah, because it's a little obvious, well, don't you think? That's because they're supposed to be like stars, like the in the mirror universe, the the like way that they talk of, in DS Nine, the way they talk about the Terrans and make them all wear Terran albums on their chest, and you see that okay. when like uh, Smiley and uh, Bashir, or not Smiley, when Miles and Bashir in the other episode are like working, put to work in the ore processing unit in the first mirror universe episode. That's like a very strong parallel that's drawn about like the in the slate in enslavement of the humans or the mm-hmm. Terrans. And uh, so like she's wearing that because she's lesser than the rest of the people. Oh my gosh. So it really is like the stars on bars for the Sneetches. Yeah. So this is the Sneetches meets the 1990s rom-com with Sigourney Weaver, Dave, <laughs> but in the mirror universe. And the only reason that she gets to, like, not be working in the ore processing unit is because she's smart, but she's also one of Intendant Kira's pets. Mm-hmm. Creepy. Yeah. And then there's a situation with Jadzia, which is even creepier. Eh. In that, he, apparently, Mirror Cisco is sleeping with Mirror Jadzia, and then when Prime Cisco shows up, he just kind of sleeps with Mirror Jadzia to keep up for the facade, pretending he's... Here, Cisco. Yep. Yeah. In the second episode, she does smack him and say, you yeah. know, this is for sleeping with me under false pretenses. But like You've done a lot more than slap him. That's the end of it. Yeah. Yeah, it's really what the hell? Yeah. Cisco, 
We did not bring you up that way. That is not informed consent. No, that's also Hell like no. your best friend and you didn't yeah. even blink. Yeah. He didn't blink about a lot of stuff. He didn't blink about your wife is alive. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, he 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 is surprised by that. And he is, he, you can tell he has anticipation around seeing her and how he's going to feel. Um, but it, like, so... He's so worried about not breaking his cover that he can't tell one woman he doesn't want to have sex for one night. Like, he's only there for one night. It's like, I call seriously? No. Play the I have a headache card or something. And it sucks because she doesn't get anything else to do. Like, she doesn't come on the mission with them. So that's really all she has to do in that Through the Looking Glass episode. In the Focus. second one, she gets stuff to do. And also, she's like sleeping with Mira Bashir, isn't she? Oh, or am I just completely you, mentally making that up? You may be remembering that correctly. I kept getting distracted by the lace line on his wig. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. Praise be unto HDTV. <laughs> Back to Mira Jennifer for a minute because, um, yeah. What of her there is? The challenge, I think, is because... I, so first of all, the DS9 Mira universe is much less polarized than the TOS mirror universe people are much less direct opposites of each other sure. they're more like exploiting certain characteristics that people have in different ways but prime jennifer had like no character and then mirror jennifer also basically has no character mm-hmm. <laughs> so multiple continuities of the same character and they couldn't once give her a personality i mean we know she's a scientist in the mirror universe i forget if we do we do we ever know if she was a scientist in the prime universe I think she that was. That would have been interesting. But what of? Okay, quick check. Typing break. Okie dokie. So, Jennifer Sisko liked camping. Oh, no. <laughs> Jake, I want you to have it. It's your mother's lumberjack boots. Yeah, you know, it doesn't even say. It says, so, it, according to the Star Trek Encyclopedia, Jennifer Sisko was a Federation scientist. And in the novelization of Emissary, she was a Starfleet officer with the rank of lieutenant, but neither of those were actually established in the series. You'd really think someone would have gotten around to this, like, at some point. Yeah. Like, she's a scientist, just like Mom. It's not like you didn't have a chance. There were seven freaking seasons. But if anything, like, um, she actually is supposed to be just like her because she, first of all, realizes that Cisco isn't who he says he is because he's too nice. And... He sort of admits, no, like, I'm, I'm, not the, I'm not your husband. Again, just like in Dave. And then in Shattered Mirror, um, Jennifer comes through and wants to see Jake. And mm-hmm. Jake is the one who's really, like, driving that they go back to the Mirror Universe. And he is, like, she's just like Mom. Like, she's just like her. And it is, again... Boring? Yeah, it's a little boring because... I mean, Prime Jennifer was boring and they don't put in anything new. Like they could have made her, I don't know, uh, a comedian. Uh, They could have made her like. Make her a hardcore lumberjack if she likes camping so much. Just do something. Like, I don't know, an adherent of some weird practice or they could have made her like. Or a mommy blogger. There's so much you could have done. Just do anything. Yes. She could have been like, right. Well, she doesn't have a kid, but she could have, she could be like, I want to be a mommy blogger. I need to meet my, my uh, counterpart's son so I can. I need a child so I can exploit them for monetary game and internet fame. Yes. 
she could be working with the resistance more than just helping Cisco with this one thing. She could be like hardcore bombing things. Who knows? Like there were just a lot of options they didn't use. And instead she just gets to- Jennifer Cisco, the mad bomber, what bombs at midnight? Yeah. Instead she just gets to be like the absent mother or like dead mother again, because mm-hmm. and, like be this martyr character because she sacrifices herself to save Jake in Shattered Mirror. It just sucks that in the long run, uh, Cisco's grief over her is more important than who she actually was. Yep. Yeah. And we will never know who that was. Brutal. So is this the first example of a character in the Prime Universe who does not and has never existed in the Mirror Universe? Oh, do you mean Jake? With with Jake, yeah. Yeah. Because we have, you know, Jennifer's dead in one and alive in the other, but she at some point existed. Mm-hmm. Jake was never born in the Mirror Universe. Yeah. I and guess, yeah. I think that's the first time Star Trek has done that. Yeah, I think you might be right about that because certainly it didn't happen in TOS and there's only been two DS9 Mirror Universe episodes by this point. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of questions to be asked about the Mirror Universe and its alignment to the Prime One. We do have a, an episode on the Mirror Universe, which Grace named called... You don't say! Yes, it's called Ripped and Machiavellian, so you can go check to that Check that out if you want to hear more of our mirror musings. Mm, our reflections, if you will. <laughs> terrible. That was great. Yeah. All right, so let's move on to our next and actually last love interest we have for Cisco. Cassidy Yates, as played by Penny Johnson, now Penny Johnson Gerald, I believe. And that's unless you hate ship Cisco and Kai Wynn. Why would you do that? No, no one does that. We skipped. Uh, we skipped Jadzia. Uh. Oh right, right, right. Yes, um, <laughs> yes. Prime, sorry, Prime Jadzia in the one with in the remake of the episode Sarek. <laughs> it's an uncomfortable, uncomfortable episode. So uh, remember how Sarek came on the Enterprise and his emotions were out of check, and he was projecting them on the people around him. Guess what? That same thing is happening to Loxana. But she's projecting how much in lust she is with Odo on everyone. So it's basically an out-of-control love potion. Yeah. It's pretty much a Midsummer Night's Dream in space. (laughs) But worse. Anyway, we have um, Jadzia relentlessly pursuing Benjamin throughout this episode, and it's so terrible. Yeah, it reminds me of, like, the bimbo Dax when she splits into two and it's Bashir's fantasy. Like, Uh she's not that dumb in this episode, but she's pretty dumb. It's like, when she becomes infatuated, you're just supposed to think, like, she will put all intelligence aside. No, no, no. We've established when she becomes infatuated with another main cast member, because we've Mm -hmm. seen her go after guys before, and she doesn't act this dumb. No, she's normally fine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, and everyone acts weird in this one, and, like, Beryl's in love with Dax, Ugh, which is also weird uh, because Beryl. But um, Jake is in love with Kira. Kira. Uh, Kira and Bashir are in love with each other, which made sense at the time. <laughs> um, but uh, oh, and then what's going on with the O'Briens again? I did. Quark is in love with uh, Keiko. Oh, right, right, right. That part's funny. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> um, and they're also just fighting. Yes. Yeah. They're like, all like fighting always. over each other, and yeah, yeah, it's the gratitude festival. 
Eldar joy, I guess. Yeah. What can we say about this, really? Um, I, I mean, feel like the less said, the better. I mean, I guess we can reflect a little bit on, like, how cool it is until this point that Dax is his old friend, old man, in a young woman's body, and there really hasn't been any indication that there would be a romantic interest, because, which is awesome, because we, like, very rarely do see strong opposite-sex friendships in pop culture and there's even like you know people still will say like you can't really like believe you can't really be best friends with someone um who is like of the gender that you are sexually attracted to because it'll always get in the way and that's Mm -hmm. clearly not true so i think it's really unfortunate that they added to the exposition that well luoxana says that there must be some latent feeling for for the person that you went after even if it's unconscious because it would have been so much better if it really were just the next person you saw. Yeah. yeah. Right? Because now you're telling us that Jedzia is at some level attracted to her old friend. Yeah. At some level, we had established that the entire crew is just horny on Maine. Well, and it also <laughs> doesn't make sense because why wasn't Quark going after Jedzia? Because we know Quark has latent feelings for her. Yeah. And why wasn't Bashir going after Jedzia? It doesn't make a lot of sense. Yes. <laughs> so anyway, it, yeah, it's and it's also kind of unfortunate because it's sort of like betazoid menopause and this uh, like idea again that like women's reproductive cycles make them crazy and destroy everyone around them. <laughs> well, I mean, it, I mean, it's like it is actually supposed to be a virus, I think, that she has. Yeah. Yes. But it's, but that affects older. Yeah. Betazoid women. Yes. Only. Yeah grief. If you're over 40 and a woman in pop culture, you can't catch a break. But luckily, Jedzia and Sisko go back to just being best friends after this. Good. So now we can move along to our final love interest, Cassidy Yates! Cassidy Yay! (laughs) Cassidy Yay Yates! (laughs) As portrayed by Penny Johnson Gerald. She's introduced in family business in a B-plot that is Way less unsaid. It's adorable and so much better than the A plot. I mean, okay, I just, I have to defend family business for a second here. Um, It is way less unsettling than the uh, full back nude Ferengi makeup of that uh, um, Andrea Martin wears in that episode and the the fact that she needs to wear it to make Rom feel comfortable. But Andrea Martin as Ishka was amazing. And... It is sad that she was so, uh, like, frustrated by the makeup that she didn't come back. Yeah, I really love the idea, though, of this being the first episode of any Star Trek series that someone watched, and they get to be just like, what the hell is going on here? People go to conventions for this? <laughs> and and don't get me wrong, I love me some coombs, we know this, but this episode's A-plot is just really... It kind of puts all the weirdness and inconsistency of Ferengi culture as it's been written on full display. <laughs> Although I do like the um, the insistence that everyone is just really intense about tipping on the home planet. <laughs> yes. Uh... But that's our A plot and we're talking about the B plot, which is great. And that B for baseball. Yeah, Jake has this great lady he wants to introduce to his dad, and everyone else who has met her is like, are you going to meet her, Ben? She's really great. You should meet her. <laughs> and so, of course, this guy's like, I don't care. And then he finally meets her, and he's like, 
baseball baseball it's like when all those baseball. people were like you should read harry potter and i was like i don't know it can't be that good yeah <laughs> I kind of love that they get together because they both love an outdated sport. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I think it's adorable. Yeah. How many of us have ended up with someone because of a super niche interest? Yes. Look at where we are right now. Yeah. Also brief, just because I have to throw some shade at Enterprise here. I refuse to accept that there is a future where baseball dies out, but people are still really into water polo. <laughs> yeah, that's dumb as hell. Yeah, I say that as not even a fan of baseball. But yeah, it's adorable. They're all like into these obscure like teams that are playing on the Luna Colony. And it's just and her brother plays. And also she's a like a freighter captain. So she's a civilian, but she's also like, I mean, you sort of, you see her at different times, like, you know, working on repairing the ship and stuff. So she knows stuff about like ship systems and engineering. And so she's a builder and Cisco's a builder. Yeah, and she's, like, not in Starfleet, but she's doing this cool other role that's Mm -hmm. not really conventional for, I mean, we would see, like, women in that role in our our society very infrequently, like, you know, um, women truckers, women, um, other types of, like, cargo delivery. And we get to bring back that Star Trek trend of giant hair in her introduction. Oh, yes. (laughs) It's also nice to see more humans... Who aren't in Starfleet. Yeah. I also just love that she doesn't really care that much about Starfleet. Like, she isn't like, oh my god, you're the captain. Wow. Like, she just is like, yeah, you're a person. I'm a person. She's We're not both doing by cool stuff. Yeah. Yeah. She's also a captain. Yep. Yes. <laughs> who cares? Yeah. I got stuff to do. Mm-hmm. And we definitely get to add some dimensionality into her character the next time we see her in For the Cause. Yes. We find out that Cassidy is smuggling to the Maquis. Yeah. And we get to see a whole bunch of dimensionality added to her character rather than just being the love interest. Yeah. This episode has my absolute favorite uh, Ben and Cassidy shipping scene, which is when uh, she gets up to go on her cargo run and he rolls over and smells her pillow. <laughs> <sighs> Mmm, diesel. That is so sweet. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Anyway. (laughs) I think this is one of the only times in pop culture I can think of where we have the whole case of being like, you're a criminal, I have to turn you in. And it's like, oh, but don't you love me? I do love you. Okay, I'll take it. And then them being like, all right, I'm just, I guess I'm just going to serve my time and then come back to you. Yeah. So what did you guys think about this episode? I I found that interesting, but unlikely. Yeah. And I mean, certainly when we talk about the next episode, I will, (laughs) I have some more thoughts on that. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But even with this one, I was surprised. I didn't really remember how much she like outright, outright lies to his face. Like, I think uh, I... 100% understand why she's doing what she's doing. I have always been someone who would, like, sympathize with someone who's delivering medical supplies, even if it's to people who weren't necessarily on the right side of an issue. And uh, the Maquis, we know, is a complicated issue, and the staff in, like, Miles is standing up for them in this um, episode, and um, other people are having a problem with it. Um, It's complicated, um, but I think what would damage the relationship even more than that is the f- the number of times she lies to him. Yeah. It does really say something about how she um, 
views her professionality as a captain versus her relationship with Cisco and which one she prioritizes at this time. I also don't really remember them like laying too many seeds of her being like a particularly passionate activist before this point, which yeah. I mean, maybe because you really don't want to you really want to have it be a surprise, but they re- reveal pretty early on in the episode that she's under suspicion. Yeah, that this whole episode just kind of comes out of nowhere, doesn't it? I mean, if you're part of what the Federation is considering a terrorist organization on a a starbase operated by a Federation captain, how loud and passionate are you going to be about that activism? Okay, that's fair, yeah. Yeah, I know, but like, how did she get recruited? Like, we don't really yeah. learn that much about it. Others, someone told me we needed medical supplies. And like, her crew's in on it, presumably, and they don't really talk about what happens to them but there's like there's numerous times where he asks her what she's doing where she's going even like right before he knows that she's under suspicion and then definitely afterwards and she lies throughout all of it and then Mm -hmm. at the um i think the worst part is when um eddington and odo want to do an inspection on the cargo stuff and she basically messages cisco to say like uh, my boyfriend is the captain yes she does and she's like i hate to play this card but i really need to go But i'm totally playing this card yeah you know how the tholians are or whatever whoever she was gonna go meet and Mm -hmm. uh yeah um and he sort of goes along with it because he doesn't want to believe she is guilty and it uh, even tries to kind of convince her hey let's go away to risa for a while it'll be fun yeah, like, it's hard because you know it would hurt him, but he actually doesn't seem that hurt is the weird thing. And I yeah. mean, I, I think part of it is that he, by the end of that episode, you find out that he's been betrayed by Eddington. And then, like, yeah. he goes into the whole Les Miserables thing. He gets an emotional from Hell's Heart I Stab at these speech for Eddington, <laughs> yeah. but not for his girlfriend who no. betrayed him. He, he kind of seems to, like, blame Eddington for the whole thing because Eddington, yeah. like... Uh, threw Cassidy under the bus so that he could get away. Um, yeah. But he doesn't really, like, seem to hold Cassidy that responsible for what she did. Weird. I mean, Cisco's used to dealing with sort of moral and ethical gray areas based on just where he's stationed. And I can totally believe Cisco sympathizing with the Maquis. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But he's also duty-bound to send his girlfriend to jail. <laughs> Yeah, and this whole situation is made even weirder by kind of the lack of reaction to it in the next episode, Rapture. Mm-hmm. She comes back from jail and they just are like, okay, we're immediately picking this up where we left off. Yeah, they only seem to really mention it in the, the teaser where Jake is like, are you going to get back together? Yeah. And mm-hmm. Cisco's like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> and this whole time when the plot, main plot of the episode being Cisco is obsessed with this ancient Bajoran city and it's kind of destroying him and he's like telling Cassidy and Jake no this is something I will die for I have to see this through we don't get to see her at all play that I just got out of doing time for you situation like she doesn't at all say I've I've been in jail for (laughs) can we also talk about how this shows a primary black woman character is a character who does time because of her boyfriend well I mean she isn't she did time because of her own decisions like she, yeah, she deceived him. Like it's just that he didn't help her escape. Yeah, she's like not taking the fall for him. Yeah, I just feel like there's something to be said about that. I don't fully know what. Yeah, it's um. I mean, 
But I did. I thought Rapture was weird, and I think that <laughs> I, on rewatching it, was just fast forwarding through it to the parts with Cassidy because the episode itself, even beyond the sort of B plot to it, is just really odd. Yeah, this is the one where he he basically has these visions that he turns into Richard Dreyfus from Close Encounters of the Third Kind, mm. even down to playing with his food and shit he goes so far as to like he's prophesying to random majorans on the promenade and he uh falls like stumbles into the signing ceremony for bejar joining the federation and is like you can't the visions tell me bejar must stand alone and the admirals are all like oh you're so lucky you're the freaking emissary man (laughs) you would be so fired otherwise yeah so cassidy's just come back and she's basically, as well as Jake, which was even harder to believe, asked to accept that he would rather die. And she's doing this whole, like, you need to be here for your son. Like, how can you tell us that this vision you're having and the future of Bajor that's in your head because you're sick is more important than your son who's standing right in front of you? And he's just like, it just yeah. is. I'm the emissary. Let me do what I want. I know <laughs> you're being a dumbass emissary. I love this like relationship in because their communication is so honest. Uh, yeah. After she comes back from jail, <laughs> yeah. um, other than the episode where she lies to him for a whole episode about smuggling for the Maquis, like their their communication is actually, I think, a really good example of a sort of honest communication in a relationship. And her being like, "I can't believe you're doing this," and him saying, "This is what I need to do." And this goes on throughout their the whole rest of their relationship. Like, yeah, I like how we see it in. Uh- Bada bing, bada bang. Also, she's the one addressing him being like, what is your problem with going to this 60s hollow program? And he's like, I'll tell you what my problem is. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. That is a really good moment, I think. Yeah. But they also have fun together, as they do in that episode. And there's more occasions, like the baseball episode, where they get to go do fun things together. Mm -hmm. Um, But when push comes to shove, like neither of them is going to stay silent and pretend like nothing's wrong. Yeah. They call each other on their bullshit, which is an important part of a relationship. Yeah. So you're saying Cisco's finally in love with a well-rounded character? <laughs> what? I like Cassidy. I like that she had so much yeah. uh, screen time and mm-hmm. different relationships with other people, too. Um, yeah. She's a full character and not just the love interest. And you get to see that so rarely. Mm-hmm. And that she kind of, like effortlessly falls into this relationship with jake because he's the one who set her up but it's not i mean again like jake kind of awesome in this respect to not being all weird and resentful um maybe it's unrealistic he wouldn't have more complicated feelings but it's been a while since his mom died and i'm sure he wants to see his dad happy because that would make him feel more secure yeah and then things get real dramatic in deep space nine yeah Mm -hmm. so penumbra (laughs) penumbra he's like We totes have to get married, yo. Yeah. (laughs) That's exactly how he proposes. Yeah. (laughs) But he does it with such gravitas. Yeah. And she says totes Especially the totes part. Yeah. Which I I guess is a thing that happens in times of war. People are like, ah, we don't know what's happening tomorrow. Let's get married today. Yep. Or at least that philosophy. And then they get married. Again, Uh, they get married. Except it's not that easy. Yeah. Oh, (laughs) What? Because in come the prophets. Like they do. And the prophets are like, listen, don't do this. She is bad for you. Prophets are just here to piss on his parade, aren't they? No, but um, really they say, you're meant to walk your path alone. 
if you get married, there is only going to be sorrow. And like for half a second, he calls it off. He tells mm-hmm. he he tells Cassidy the truth and exactly what they said. And he's like, we can't do this. And then, you know, she gets out and leaves. But then, you know, decides kind of at the urging of Quark later <laughs> that, you know what? Screw it. F those profits. We're getting married anyway. <laughs> yeah. I he- mean, his his persuasion is these diamonds are real expensive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and he's sad. And he doesn't want to hurt. And I get that he could see that, um, like, you know, the cure is like, oh, the prophets have never put you down the wrong path. He's like, well, not yet. This this could totally be the time. Like, he's trying really hard to rationalize. First time for everything. Not listening yeah. to them because mm-hmm. he doesn't want to hurt. And you can see making a decision like that because it will make you happy now and it, you don't want to hurt the person you love, even though it might not be good down the road. And uh, so he just goes to Cassidy and she's like, like, don't do this to me, Ben. Like, if you're not sure, don't do this. And he's like, oh, I'm sure. And I, I don't care. We're just going to go. We're going to go get married I- right I'm now. committing to this. We're not even having a Bajoran wedding because darn those prophets keep trying to wreck my happiness. Piss on his parade. Yes. So they have a mopey wedding with Admiral Ross. <laughs> a mopey wedding is a really good description of it. It's like the opposite of Worf and Jadzia's wedding. And what does he say? Like, it's the honor of any high-ranking officer to perform a wedding? Because <laughs> like, he's not a captain. Because he's not a captain and they're not on a spaceship, I guess. <laughs> it was so awkward. They have a shotgun wedding before she's even pregnant. Yeah, pretty much. It's uh, They elope into the arms of Admiral Ross. <laughs> Um, and then he has more, he like in the middle of the ceremony has a, uh, no, you, you aren't doing this vision from his mom, Sarah Prophet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sarah Prophet's like, I'm not happy, but take care of yourself, my son, because shit's going to get hard. And it's like right before his vows. It's the final season. He knows it's going to get hard. <laughs> Man. But I mean, I just feel like, okay, so first of all. If I was Cassidy, I would not have made it through Rapture in that relationship. So I guess props <laughs> to her. Be like, look, I just got back and you're going to go build a temple? Okay, bye. <laughs> you have to get through Rapture to get through Bada Bing Bada Bing. I mean, the first part, the like, I've just discovered where this temple is. Let's go excavate it together. I'd be like, cool, that's fun and adventurous. But the part where you're like, I need to die now if it means seeing the whole universe like I saw my baby son. That's when I'd be like, okay peace out <laughs> also just how how much how hard would you have pieced out if you had him being like that baby i saw but now it's the entire universe <laughs> he's miming holding a baby it's just like oh wow okay going back to my ship now <laughs> jake do i'm you gonna come, come back once you've worked your own shit together yeah just leave with jake jake we're going to your aunt's for a few days so by this point I guess I'm not surprised that she would accept when he's like, I can't get married to you. Oh, wait, I can. Like, I guess I'm not surprised if she stuck with him through the other stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and they do have a lot of, like, amazing moments. So, like totally. I said, it's more to the relationship than than the weird vision. Yeah. And I guess it's a good thing they got married when they did, because the next... Later that season, mm-hmm. just a few episodes later. A couple later, episodes later. Yeah. She was pregnant. She is in a family way, and we discover some weird things about birth control in the future. Yes. It's a two-person thing. 
which on one hand, that's neat, put some responsibility in the guy's mm-hmm. corner. But on the other hand, why is it the responsibility of both parties? Yeah, that's ludicrous. It's weird. Yeah, they have a line that says, like, I guess one of us forgot to get our shots or something. And uh, Cisco sort of says, like, yeah, oh, crumbs, I did not see Dr. Bashir. And apparently, yeah, both people have to go get, like, inoculated against baby making from Dr. Bashir. Either that or she was being super catty and, like, one of us forgot it and it wasn't me. I also feel like it's silly that in the future we don't have birth control that you can self-administer. I don't... Yeah, that's... In all ways, it seems worse than what we have now. I don't understand how that would even work. Again, I want to believe it was just her being super passive-aggressive and going, well, one of us didn't do what we said we were going (laughs) to do. That works for me. What we agreed on. Yeah, I mean, maybe it wasn't literal and she just meant you were the one who was supposed to be getting contraception, in which case that's actually a really bad thing if he was responsible Mm -hmm. for it and didn't get it and didn't tell her. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Either way, she's having a baby now. And it's cursed. (laughs) (laughs) The baby is cursed? Oh, no, but the the whole, you know, despair happening thing. Yeah, the baby's not specifically cursed. In fact, Cisco promises her the baby will be fine, despite the prophets saying sad, ominous things. Sorrow. And, And then she gets left as a single mother. Yeah. Which is not great. Well, it could have been worse. Uh, originally, the so at the end of the finale, Cisco has plunged into the fire caves with Galdicott, as you do, right? Um, because they're nemeses, and you have to end things. He was having the Sherlock Holmes Moriarty dramatic jump. Yeah. Yeah. That was his rock and Bach fall. Yes. And, you know, a whole, like, clash between good and evil. I think that the episode where Cisco and, or sorry, where Kira and Jake fight it out on the promenade was a more effective uh, profit battle, but that's just my opinion. Um, Anyway, so he's done that. And then Vision comes back to Cassidy saying, like, hey, I'm gone, but I'm, I'm coming back sometime because originally... He was going to say he's a prophet and he can never return. Mm-hmm. But Avery Brooks said it. He was like, no, this is a really bad stereotype about black men leaving their pregnant wife alone. And, and therefore, I have to say that I can come back. I just don't know when. Yeah. And that would definitely be kind of counteractive to the work that Avery Brooks put into making sure his character is, you know, a present and good father to counteract that stereotype if they undid the whole thing just at the end. Yeah, it doesn't totally counter the stereotype. No, that's really unfortunate also. Yeah, and it, but it also makes me wonder. I mean, the the episode where we find out she's pregnant is the next to last episode. Yeah. Yeah. And then he leaves in in what you leave behind. Why was it even necessary? Yeah. You know, rewatching a bunch of these season 7 episodes and uh, there's a lot of stuff that I like about Deep Space Nine pushing the relationships between characters, but sometimes I feel like their use of pregnancy, especially, verged on soap operatic. And yeah. this oh, yeah. and the whole like Jadzia trying to get pregnant just before she dies thing, I think, are really good examples of that. Like it doesn't yeah. really add anything um, other than to make it like 
supposedly like more of a loss or more dramatic or more sad yeah, to just up the emotional to ante up the stakes. kind of yeah. cheaply yeah which is unfortunate because there is that um that thing that you see happen with a lot of male writers where they think oh i can't think of something to do with this female character how about pregnant yeah i thought the stakes were high enough because we already know yeah. and love jake and cassidy mm-hmm. and like that yeah. last scene with kira and jake looking out the um, observation deck at the wormhole, like, that's what makes me cry. It's not the fact, like, knowing that Cassidy's pregnant. Yeah. It, it was pretty unnecessary. Well, well, at least we know that from what we've seen of Cassidy, she's very, she's tough, she's resilient. She She's gonna be able to take care of herself and a kid. Yeah. In the, um, the novels that come immediately after DS9, um, the novels, the, um, are Avatar uh, book one and book two, Okay, so both the books are by S.D. Perry, who's actually one of my favorite Trek novelists. Um, she also wrote my favorite installment of the Terok Noor trilogy and um, has co-written, she co-wrote that and she has written some other novels and it, it has um, like Jake basically determined to go find his father and sort of like exploring prophecy for exam uh, for indication of like when Cisco might come back and Cassidy's raising the baby and trying to figure out if maybe the baby is significant in the prophecy and um it's pretty interesting but not a great note to end your series on when it's the first black captain primary captain yeah I mean, I like the idea that they would have a family that is, although I think they are a family with Jake, but like Jake's clearly time to spread his wings and fly a little more, baby Jake. And uh, (laughs) I also like the idea that like you can have a grown kid and then still have another kid and that like Cassidy and Ben are like not too old to be parents. I think Mm -hmm. that even though they're only married for like five episodes and it's very fraught with profit drama, their wedding or their marriage and their whole relationship is still way more functional than the O'Briens. Oh, definitely. (laughs) That's not hard to do though. I mean, they're already set up much more as equals than the O'Briens. Yeah. Even in some of these episodes we rewatched for this, we saw that. Yeah, definitely. I think it, speaks really highly of her because that would be hard to be in a relationship with the emissary. And we see that at several points. But I think if you imagine being in that position, that would be so hard. Um, But the fact that she is always grounded in what she does and her own career and sense of fulfillment is, I think, what saves it. So while we establish that Cassidy is the superior love interest, theirs is not the most ideal relationship. Accurate. Even if it's pretty good. It's definitely one of the better Star Trek relationships overall, I think. Mm -hmm. So, Sue, where can people find you online? You can find me on Twitter at Spaltor. That's S-P-A-L-T-O-R. And Jera, where can people find you online? You can find me on Twitter at Jera Penguin or on uh, my website, TrekkieFeminist.com. And I'm Grace, and you can find me on Twitter at BoneCrusherJank. And to contact our show, email crew at womenatwarp.com or visit us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Women at Warp. And for more from the Roddenberry Podcast Network, visit podcast.roddenberry.com. And remember, now that we're back in season two of Discovery, we'll be doing weekly recaps on the blog. Discover Discovery with us. (laughs) The Roddenberry Podcast Network. 
podcast.roddenberry.com.